Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. You are listening to Radio Islam, and I'm your host, Tariq El Amin. For those of you who are new to Radio Islam, welcome. We're a live call-in talk show broadcasting from Chicago on WCEB 1450 AM. And we reach the world by streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. And remember, folks, you can now catch us on the TuneIn app. Just look for WCEV, and you can hear the stream coming through loud and clear. Now, if you haven't already done so, keep up with us on social media by following and liking us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at the same username. That's at Radio Islam USA, at Radio Islam USA. If you have a comment or a question you'd like to pose throughout the course of tonight's discussion, feel free to give us a call at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. Now, Radio Islam family, tonight we are going to be talking about how mental health and incarceration intersect at Cook County Jail. Uh, this is the largest single-site jail in the United States, and uh, we are fortunate to have the executive director of Cook County Corrections with us, Dr. Eneka Jones-Tapia. I'm going to tell you just a little bit about her really quickly. Um, all right, I thought I was going quickly, but I'm not going quickly. Uh, as I said, she is the executive director of the Cook County Department of Corrections. Uh, prior to assuming that role in May of 2015, Dr. Jones-Tapia was the first assistant executive director of the Cook County Sheriff's Office, where she oversaw mental health strategy at the Cook County Jail. And on any given day, Cook County Jail is home to 2,000 to 2,500 mentally ill inmates. And in an effort to slow the revolving door of mentally ill re-entering the jail, Dr. Jones-Tapia developed the Mental Health Transition Center to build a support system for the successful re-entry into the community uh, in addition to the Mental Health transition, uh, transition Center, excuse me, Dr. Jones Tapia spearheaded several programs geared toward increased health in inmate population and the community. I'm going to stop it right there, <laughs> uh, just so we can get into our conversation. Uh, and welcome, Dr. Eneka. You know what? We're going to do that again, folks. Uh, Radio Islam family, uh, as you all probably recognize, the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg, is not with us tonight. Uh, and he is normally on the boards. So I've got to do a little bit of multitasking here. So I'm going to say uh, welcome once again. I'll make sure I got you on the microphone this time. I'm, uh, it's a pleasure to be yes. here. Thank you. We got all, me? Okay. All right. Good. Success, <laughs> success, success. Okay. Uh, so um, Cook County, everybody in Chicago knows Cook County. Everyone outside of Chicago right, knows right. Cook County. Right, yes. absolutely. Well known. Right. Um, and not for good reasons, unfortunately. We're yeah. trying to change that, you know, trying to get more people to see all of the good work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully we'll be able to really change the, the perception of jails and not just Cook County, but jails and prisons in general. Yeah, I think that's important. One of the things that uh, that I was that I was really excited about talking about was the the stigma first of all the stigma of incarceration yes. and the stigma of mental um, not not necessarily mental illness but just mental health in general yes um, and you are I mean right in the thick of it yes so you have uh, as as I said in the bio you have between two thousand and twenty five hundred mentally mentally ill yes. 
And even though, so we recently went through a population reduction around September of last year. We were around, uh, we had a population of about 7,500 through uh, bond reform efforts with the chief judge's office. We're now just above 6,000. We're at about 6,100. But despite that population decrease, we're not seeing a reduction in the number of people coming to us with mental illness. Hmm. Now, I read a an article, and I think this was this is probably about three years old, and it said Cook County Jail was the largest, they described it as the largest mental uh, hospital, mental health hospital or, or provider in the United States. Is it's that unfortunately true. It's the largest single-site mental health institution in the country, and the unfortunate reality is that the largest mental health institutions in the country are the three largest jails. Rikers Island, L.A. County, and Cook County. Okay, now this might be kind of breaking away from this particular conversation, but this this does, those stats seem to indict our health care. Yes. Um, I mean, just brazenly not, so. Not just our health care system, but our our political will to do the right thing. I mean, it's an indictment of our whole generation. And what... Unfortunately, people coming after us will see it will be an embarrassment to us. Right. You know, we were going through the same um, thing in the 1800s. In the 1800s, we were locking the mentally ill up in jails and prisons. Right. And through reform efforts, they said, no, they belong in hospitals. And now look where we are again today. You know, that that's really interesting uh, when we look at the history of it. Uh, taking it to present day, terms like post-traumatic stress disorder, bipolar, schizophrenia, these were terms that were unheard of at that point. Uh, Seeing as how a large portion, uh, and you would certainly know the stats better than I would, but I'm just going to say a large portion of those that are incarcerated within Cook County Jail and jails across the the country Mm -hmm. are black and brown. Yes. uh, Coming from uh, communities, uh, you know, some of lower uh, socioeconomic status. Yes. Um, where post-traumatic stress exists without being diagnosed. You hit the nail on the head. So um, so, so, following that up, when inmates come in, uh, is, there, is there an assessment uh, process that, that takes place? Yes, there is. So even before an inmate comes into our custody, we have them um, under our supervision while they're waiting for bond court. They're not technically in our custody, but we have them for a few hours from the local law enforcement agencies dropping them off to us to wait for bond court. And we decided about maybe four or five years ago to utilize that time to do a quick mental health screener so that we could inform the judges, the state's attorney's office, the public defender's office of individuals coming to us and coming before them for bond court that someone, you know, reported mental illness. And so we thought that would be helpful in diverting people from coming to the jail. Unfortunately, it has not been helpful in that sense. Mm. Um, You know, we can talk about reasons why, but um, instead it helps us to identify individuals early on. And so then once individuals are then required to come into our custody, they get a full comprehensive mental health assessment at the point of intake by qualified mental health professionals. And they don't just 
just um, complete a rapid diagnostic assessment, but they will determine what level of care that individual needs, and then our correctional staff house them accordingly. So we have different housing divisions where we house individuals with varying levels of functioning. So speaking of the uh, correctional staff, um, is there has there been a, a deliberate effort to increase their awareness and ability to to, to service um, inmates who have mental health? Uh, concerns. Oh, yes. So um, since about uh, 2009, all of our correctional staff coming into the jail have received crisis intervention training and advanced mental health training. So our staff get over 100 hours of advanced mental health training before they start working with the department. Then they receive an additional 40 hours of crisis intervention training before working with the department. And then every year they have annual in-service training where we have scenario-based training that includes different scenarios you might encounter working with someone with mental illness. Now, is that a, uh, well, I should say, are the are those who have mental health issues, are they given a separate, um, I don't know if it's called separate wing or, or housing? Dorm, yeah. Housing? So based off of their level of functioning, so those that are more seriously ill and uh, virtually unable to take care of themselves, they are housed in our infirmary unit. So everyone in those particular areas have a diagnosed mental illness, and the staff working in those areas understand that they have a more serious level of dysfunction. Then we have our residential treatment unit, which is in a different area that houses our seriously medically and mentally ill. That division houses about close to just under a thousand inmates and then we have um, what we call our higher functioning individuals with mental illness and we spread them throughout certain divisions Mm -hmm. so they're um, you know hopefully able to function with others in general population but we still have staff there that have been trained in mental health awareness and how to de-escalate situations because they know the majority of their population have a mental illness do we still have um, is this still still a reality that people are getting locked up, going to jail, so that they because they know once they're in the system that at the very least they're going to get this assessment. Uh, if they need medication, they're going to get their medication. Is that still prevalent? The unfortunate reality is we have people that come to us almost like clockwork. We can set our watches by when they come into our custody because they know that they're going to get the treatment that they need. You know, correctional facilities are the one area where we are required to provide mental health and medical treatment. And we just took it a step further and we said we're not going to just provide treatment to help people to maintain where they are, but we're actually trying to help people to get better. Mm. Okay. Now, you know, I mentioned earlier about the stigma that Mm -hmm. I think most anybody that's really paying attention to how we talk about uh, people who are incarcerated, how we talk about people who um, who are seeking mental health uh, counseling, or although I would say that there seems to be uh, a sensitiza- uh, sensitization, yes, that that's happening. Right it's now. growing. Yeah, but how do you get people uh, who are uh, incarcerated? Do you have a difficulty in getting them to reach out for help? Uh, those who are not necessarily with uh, who've been diagnosed with, with an acute you know problem but just your 
general, you know, your, your general population? Not really, be- for a number of reasons. So, one, we try not to just focus on individuals with a diagnosed mental illness. We really offer some sort of treatment services to virtually everyone coming into our custody because the reality is everyone that's incarcerated could benefit from some support. Right. And so from that standpoint, once we engage individuals, sometimes they open up in such a way that they recognize in themselves, wow, I should have received and asked for help earlier on. I just didn't know what was going on with me. No one ever told me this was a a diagnosis. I just thought something was wrong with me. Secondly, you know, we try not to focus on labels. I think that's where so many of us go um, wrong and that it builds a level of distrust, particularly when working with black and brown individuals. And so past labels, we just talk about how can you, from where you are in this moment, actualize your true potential? How can we help you get to be the person that you would like to be, the person that would be welcomed by his mom and dad or son or daughter and really start life anew? And again, from that perspective, we're able to get more people to engage with us. And then, you know, we haven't touched on the substance use issue where, you know, even though we have on any given day, 25 to 30 percent of our population has a diagnosed mental illness. Research will show that 80 plus percent have a diagnosed substance use disorder. And so we know that there is, you know, a level of need in our community and especially in black and brown communities. We talked about the trauma that is, um, you know, prevalent. And I would say it's pretty pervasive, you know, particularly in Chicago, where we have such high rates of violence and children can't even feel comfortable enough and, and really safe enough to step beyond their front porch and really have to be thoughtful about where they sit in their house. They're not allowed to be children. And so it's almost like many of our young children growing up in these more violent ridden neighborhoods are incarcerated. Yeah. They can't move on their own. They are controlled by their environment. And that's why we know we have to do more. And you see the, um, I guess you see the, the that manifest in uh, the behavior of, of those people who are within Cook County? Yes, yes. And, you know, I think traditionally correctional institutions, not just Cook County, mm-hmm. I think we thought that and we be in correctional institutions that we could punish someone into behaving appropriately. Well, when you're dealing with such pervasive levels of trauma and severe levels of trauma, there's really nothing you can do to punish the person beyond how they've already been punished. And so we knew we had to come at it from a different perspective. And so when you have these acting out behaviors, I'll give you an example. You know, we were seeing individuals that would self-harm pretty significantly just to get a need met. They didn't understand how to ask for what they were wanting or they didn't understand no. It was I'm going to do whatever it takes, including hurting myself to get what I want and nothing you can do will stop me and nothing you can do will hurt me more than I'm willing to hurt myself. That's a sickness. That's a very scary uh, place to be in. Now, Radio Slime family, I'm, I'm going to take a. I'm going to let you know if you just came in, all right. If you're just tuning in, 
Uh, we're talking with Dr. Aneka Jones-Tapia. She is the Executive Director of Cook County uh, Corrections. And, um, and some of you may know, uh, I, I think I may have disclosed before, right? I've had like 900 jobs, right? So uh, one of my career paths for about three years was working uh, in the Department of Corrections in the uh, Juvenile Division. And I can attest to what you just mentioned because uh, I have seen with my own eyes uh, individuals put batteries, yes. combs, um, just, I mean, pens, uh, all manner of, of items into themselves yes. just to see the doctor. And, and I was working with, with uh, juveniles. Yes. So um, are there are there wraparound services that uh, that, that you have, have developed? Because what, what you're doing, first of all, I don't know. I feel like you're trailblazing. Um, yes, you know, I, I I think so. We have a lot of correctional institutions that come to us to try to get information on what we're doing. We're more than happy to share that, you know, and it's, you know, that's a sad statement to make that we're trailblazing. You know, we, um, we know we've been dealing with not just, you know, the problems with that we're describing with mental illness and correctional institutions, but just the trauma for mm-hmm. decades. And so the fact that, no other health organization in the community and no other correctional facility has really stepped up to to minimize the issue or at least attack it or just admit that it's an issue mm-hmm. is problematic in and of itself. And if I could just back up before I get to the wraparound services, you know, I said just a minute ago that, you know, that level of trauma creates a sickness that we see. Right. But I also have to say that it's also important that we don't, um, you know, pathologize this problem Mm -hmm. because what is the reality is that it's a very normal response to abnormal circumstances that they're growing up in. You know, we were talking about the level of violence and particularly in Chicago and no one should have to live under those circumstances. And so if we haven't experienced it, which I've never experienced it, fortunately, Mm -hmm. But I also understand that I wouldn't be able to adapt positive, healthy behaviors living in that kind of environment under that kind of fear. So I don't want to pathologize it, although we recognize the need to help our community. So to that point, yes, we do offer wraparound services. You know, it was important for us to do work beyond our doors and which is unheard of in a correctional facility for a long time in most correctional institutions once you leave the correctional institution they no longer encounter you right and so we have um we just took an area of the jail and we created what we call a discharge lounge we have a community provider that comes into the discharge lounge nightly they will assess individuals before they leave our custody make sure they have an appointment in the community if no one hasn't already been set up and then follow up with that individual at least 48 hours post-release our staff our correctional staff if necessary, we'll even drive the individual to their home if they're at risk, wow. because it's very difficult to navigate public transportation for me. Yeah. And so I can just imagine, <laughs> you know, if I'm leaving Cook County Jail, having been there for months, years, and one, I might have come in in the summertime and I don't have a coat, we give them a coat. 
we give them a nice little um, package with like a snack bar or something. And then we also give them access to medication. So our health and hospital system partners make sure that they get the prescriptions from a health and hospital system agency. And to take it a step further, we know that the city of Chicago closed about half of their mental health clinics a yeah. few years ago. Well, we partnered with the city of Chicago to reopen one of those city clinics on the west side of Chicago okay. because we recognized that a lot of our inmates that were coming in with mental illness were coming from the areas where we closed the mental health clinics, the south and west sides of the city. And so we now have mental health staff from the jail that go there a few days a week to provide services to people that have been released from our custody. And then we also, many of our programs, like you spoke about the Mental Health Transition Center in the introduction, programs like that that we've developed, we have alumni programs. So inmates, once they've been released, will volunteer to come back to the jail for ongoing treatment services, which is unheard of. Yeah. To volunteer to come back to a jail. Right. Just for treatment services. So, and to your point, you know, you asked about people that will you know, willingly get arrested for treatment services. That's a real phenomenon. And so we wanted to make sure people understood you don't have to get arrested to receive treatment services. You can come back to us and receive treatment as often and as much as you like, and we'll help you for as long as we can. Um, we also, so the sheriff has uh, jurisdiction over the courthouses in Cook County. I can talk to you forever. Mm-hmm. And um, so we we also recognize a quite significant part of our population. We're coming from the southern parts of the county, too, where they have very little resources there for mental health treatment. And so we also have mental health staff from the sheriff's office that staff an area of the courthouse and provide treatment for about 30 individuals a week. They go there for their weekly treatment. And we have community partners where we will refer people and we know that they do, you know, valuable work. And so we feel comfortable referring people to them. So it's been very helpful. So you're doing something, and I, I can't, I don't think I can overstate how important this is. Um, you are injecting compassion into corrections. That's what it's about. And that is really a, a, a paradigm shift. Yes. Uh, you know, in, in something that we feel an institution that, that's supposed to be punitive, that's supposed to mm-hmm. be unpleasant and uncomfortable, yes. uh, and and ultimately dehumanizing. Yes. Um, and the sheriff and I are not popular for that. You know, a, a yeah. lot of I avoid the blogs because, unfortunately, a lot of our staff, and I think we're at a turning point where we're getting more people that are behind us than against us, mm-hmm. but a lot of the staff don't appreciate that. Some of the correctional staff still feel that we should be more about punishment than about treatment. Really? But what they don't understand is that over 80% of our jail population Mm -hmm. is released back to the community. That means they're our neighbors. That means they're our family members, our friends. And so I think until it hits a personal level sometimes, it's difficult to infiltrate that person that can't conceptualize the need to treat and not punish. Don't get me wrong, there's consequences for our behavior. And so we still have those consequences but it's punishment enough to be locked away from your family. It's punishment enough to be locked within the confines of your mind when you're suffering from a mental illness. But, you know, they hopefully will get to a point 
like many of our staff have, where they too will have that level of compassion. On the flip side, Mm -hmm. in some of the programs that we've developed, our correctional staff are some of our best treatment staff. Really? I, as a clinician, used to go in and meet with the detainees in our mental health transition center, and I thought I was doing a pretty good job. And, you know, meetings take place, and so I was not able to to run a couple of the groups. And so I said, what am I going to do? I don't want to cancel the programs. What was my resource that I had there with my officers? And so I talked to them. They were nervous about it at first, but when I tell you that they ran a better group than I ever have in my career— I was thoroughly impressed. And these are big, brawly officers that are sitting there bonding with inmates. And the inmates will tell you, when they leave, they cry because they miss the bond that they have with the officers. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, so I, I want to ask about uh, the, the, the community aspect uh, that's formed. Do you, do you have a little time? Can, yes, can you hang out with I'm us? here. I'm okay, here. great. All right. Um, Radio Slime family, uh, if you have just, if you just tuned in, well, shame on you. Um, no, I'm just playing. Um, but we will, uh, this episode, of course, will be available tomorrow uh, in podcast form, so you can catch what you missed. Um, but we're going to take a short break, okay? This is Radio Slime. This is your host, Tariq Elamine. And we will be back in just a minute. on the line. Welcome to Our World Today. What's your question? Our continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface, meaning that 71% is comprised of water. Man automatically adapts to environmental conditions. So why do I need to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to mypyramid.gov. Brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. From the vantage point, Mafatu saw six war canoes drawn up on the beach. But what held the boys' eyes in awful trance were the figures, the eaters of men, cannibals. Mafatu watched the strange scene, powerless to move. In that very instant, he heard a crashing in the undergrowth. Four figures were tearing through the jungle. He turned and ran blindly down the trail, thinking only of his canoe. If only he could reach it before the savages overtook him. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book Call It Courage by Armstrong Sperry. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq El Amin. We are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. And we are reaching the world by streaming live at www.wcv1450.com. Folks, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking uh, with this intro, but I do want to remind you, if you're not following us, if you haven't liked our pages, do so on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. Now, we're going to get back into our conversation. We're talking with the executive director of Cook County Corrections, Dr. Aneka Jones-Tapia. And before we went to break, let me cut this music off. I, I like this music. I could just kind of talk over it the whole time, but <laughs> I'm not going to do that. She has, all right. She does. All right. So you don't have on 
these wonderful headphones yet, but I'm listening to it. So I'm going to, I'm going to cut it down now. All right. So you were just mentioning, uh, before we went to break about how, um, how the, uh, how the inmates were so, uh, taken, they were, they were connected to, uh, the correction officers. Yes. And, uh, just this, this whole experience. Um, now do they have groups that are led by, uh, correctional staff? Yes. So we have clinical staff that are there, but we also um, started something called men's talk groups, just based off of the that experience I just described where, you know, I had to ask the officers to step in in my absence and the inmates took to it so much that we decided to host that real talk men's group every Monday. And so they have that um, opportunity and they enjoy it. They look forward to it. Okay. Now, is that so... So they replicate, hold on, this men's talk Wednesday? Monday. Monday. Mm -hmm. So this is something that happens for them once they've been released? Or they're doing it uh, while they're... Um, with uh, while they're incarcerated, they're doing it while they're in custody, okay. and then for those that attend our alumni programs, we have the clinical staff that are there to work with them. But we also still have our correctional staff there, and they will still engage with the correctional staff while they're there too. Really? Yes. Really. So, how long has that been going on? Well, we started the Mental Health Transition Center August first of twenty fourteen. So we've been um, in in. Uh, operating for over three years now and every graduation so we have a yearly graduation and every graduation the inmates and not just graduation any program Mm -hmm. the inmates will you know attest to the benefit of having the clinical staff right but they most bond with the correctional staff because that's you know a relationship that wasn't supposed to be and so I think they're most taken by it and it means something to them most of our clinical staff are female and so not to take anything away from our our female staff but you know because they add value but it's nothing like the bond between men and when you are a man in your 30s 40s 50s and unfortunately many of them come from generations of incarcerated fathers then they unfortunately didn't learn how to be a man and so to have this correctional officer engage with you just helping you to learn coping strategies with real life problems that the correctional officers will sometimes say you know what I've experienced this too and this is what helped me you know that's that's a benefit like none other is there a difference in the way uh, men and women who are in custody uh, respond, or uh, is there just is there a difference in in, in the way they're they're being? There's a different in a difference in the dynamic. So, um, you know, women we're a little different. Mm-hmm. So when it's a female staff member engage with a female um, detainee, there can be a level of friction there. And that's hard to break through initially, but we have some wonderful staff members, correctional and clinical, that understand that dynamic and are able to break through it. For, you know, our female correctional staff in particular, working with male detainees, of course, you know, I think there is a level where initially the female staff member may be sexualized, but once they put that boundary in place, then they tend to be um, more maternal. The, The inmates tend to see the female staff as more mother figures and that can be used to really break through some some bad family 
um, history. And, you know, a lot of our female staff members are able to come in and control the situation using that maternal instinct a lot better than some of our male staff members. Now, when you're talking about the bond, though, between males, it's something that um, I've seen blossom over the course of years Mm -hmm. and not just the um, relationship between the staff and the inmates, but also amongst the inmates. You know, there's this level of... um, for a lack of a better term, hardcoreness that yeah. some of the men will come in with. And it's hard to break through that. Mm-hmm. And when you see people progress in that group format to where they're crying and consoling each other and empathetic towards each other, it's it's something inspiring to witness. Let me tell you, inmates in our mental health transition center program surprised me one day. They saw a news story of a young mother who was gunned down in Chicago and she was pregnant. The baby survived initially and um, they called the baby Baby Miracle initially. The inmates gathered their commissary money. For those that don't know, commissary is, you know, the, the snacks and goods they'll buy while they're in the correctional institution. They gathered their commissary money to donate about $250, maybe a little more, to Baby Miracle on their own. No one asked them to do this. And they wrote a letter to the grandmother of Baby Miracle, who was now taking care of Baby Miracle and donated the funds. And the grandmother came to, to receive the gifts. Unfortunately, Baby Miracle didn't survive longer than a year. But just that act of giving coming from individuals that are used to taking you know, it was um, it was a turning moment for me. I realized we were making some impactful changes. When I hear that, I am I'm, I'm reminded of a couple of things. The first is that uh, these are all uh, these are all power dynamics, uh, and uh, yes. the the loss of of power or the assertion uh, of power uh, is as much about. Uh, it's as present as it is uh, in, in a jail or prison as yes. it is in an office. Yes. Um, but there's also a power that comes with being able to give. Yes. Uh, and that is such a uh, uh, Raiders on family. I hope, I hope you all are as touched as I am because uh, I think that is what, especially speaking as a man, Yes. I think that is what uh, a lot of these men are looking for. They're looking yes. for an opportunity to be, to be seen for who they are and to be able to give something of value. Yes. So that is, that is tremendously powerful. Yes. And I hope the audience is touched because the reality is that these are our babies. Mm-hmm. This is our community that's there. You know, in Cook County Jail, unlike any other correctional institution, about 75% of our population is, is black. Right. And another, what, maybe 17%, almost 20% are Latino. So we're talking about, again, our brothers and sisters and our sons and daughters. And so that's why it means so much to me. Absolutely. Uh, so we have an inbox. Somebody's inboxed us with a question. Okay. All right. And they would like for you to talk a bit about the types of services and treatment provided while incarcerated. Uh, okay, it goes on. It says, how, do, how does it differ from the treatment they receive outside of prison? Well, I, just the presence of treatment is different. I mean, a lot of people, <laughs> I mean, there are some treatment facilities in 
the city of Chicago, the county of Cook, the state of Illinois, but they're few and far between. And especially psychiatric services, they're very hard to come by. And so just the presence of it, I mean, an inmate can put in a request slip to see a psychiatrist and virtually see someone within 24 hours. That's almost unheard of. And so we also have um, not just clinical programs. So we have individual treatment, group therapy, art therapy. We have African drumming lessons because it's a form of expression to get some of that anger out and to get in touch with emotions. We have creative writing. Um, We have um, a a wealth of treatment programs, but I think more importantly, we give the person holistic access to to resources. So we have job training programs. Uh, I was meeting with some of my executive staff this morning because we have a food certification program where, you know, inmates have to eat. We have inmates working in the kitchen for a long time. We did not get them the food handler certification. Why? Because it costs money. So with working with different community partners that thankfully donated thousands of dollars to help us with this, um, we're now getting the inmates that work in the kitchen their food handler certification, which gives them a one-up when they step out of the jail to have a certification that any food industry job requires you to have that. They're coming in with it. So they have a step up. And I've received so many stories from people that have told me how beneficial that was to them and how they were neck and neck with another person. And because they came in with that certification, they were awarded that job. We have um, culinary programs. So we don't just have our our kitchen, but we have an Italian pastry chef that comes into the jail every day. And he teaches the inmates how to eat properly. What you put in, you know, you know, is a clear indicator of what's going to come out. And he also teaches them how to make gourmet pizzas, Italian um, pastas, they can cook. Really? <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. And so we um, just opened it up so that the inmates can purchase some of the food that those inmates are making. Um, I could go on and on. We have yoga classes. We have meditation classes. No, I'm not really? kidding. We have over 150 volunteers that come into the jail and offer some sort of services. Just through me and the sheriff and others engaging in public discourse, then people volunteer their services. I had um, a photographer that was taking pictures of me. He said, I don't know what I can do, but I just want to help. He was offering photography classes for us. I mean, we have men taking pictures of flowers just to be able to see oh, that there is wow. beauty in the world. Yes. You know, and so you know, I could, I, I could go on and on, but we have a wealth of programs that we offer. And, you know, we also, again, have the programs that we offer for people post-release. A family that the sheriff helped a number of years ago. Um, Their daughter was seriously mentally ill, and he made sure that she got the treatment services that she needed. That family later donated a van to the sheriff's office. And so we will book people appointments to drive them in the community where they need to go. So if you need, you know, transportation to get to a job, you know, whatever, we drive you there. We're really trying to reduce the obstacles for success. Mm. You know, it's certainly not anywhere that you would want to go by choice. No, no. But if one should find themselves in the custody of the sheriff, in jail, incarcerated, on whatever level, you would hope that you'd be in a place that could um, have a mission of, of restoration for you. Yes, uh, yes. And everything that I'm hearing, it, 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 just, it just embodies that. 
yes. uh, for me. Now, let me ask another question that is not so much about, uh, because this is great work that mm-hmm. you're doing mm-hmm. for, for, for those uh, who you have charge of, you're responsible for, but what about those who are providing this service? What about those who are, because the yes. healers, who is, how do you, how do you address uh, You're touching a sore spot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, burnout is real. And, you know, we admittedly, um, and actually the sheriff and I were just having this conversation today, and we've had it oftentimes. We know we have to do more. Um, And so, you know, a couple of things we've done, we've created a a special, like, officer's dining room where um, our, it's the same company that, uh, does Buena Beef. They come in and they oh. provide meals to the staff. Um, and in that area, we created a meditation space for our staff. Mm-hmm. We purchased a few relaxation massage chairs and have a quiet space. It's dim there um, where staff can just go just for even 15 minutes out of their day and just get a break. Um, we are partnering with a local agency here that I met for uh, I met through a desire to get something for myself to help with burnout. Okay. Found a group that does transcendental meditation and it has been phenomenal for me and so I know that it will also um, be well received by the staff so we're partnering with them to begin offering transcendental meditation to the staff in the near future. Um, you know, we have a group that um, one of our directors initiated called Empower, and it's led by staff, for staff, and they do different things like a chili cook-off. Um, I've been able to taste some great chili from the staff that made it. <laughs> um, you know, they've done things like potlucks, things like that, just little things where, where the sheriff was adamant that he wanted us to redo the officers' break rooms to make them, um, you know, a, a little more pleasing and just a a source of respite for the staff again we know that we want to do so much more and so now we're starting to really dig into that okay yeah um, and and that's that's great to hear because um we know that dealing with the problems of others you know we internalize them yes yes Uh, and it's it's difficult to shut that off when you you get off you go home you take those things with you uh so that that's great to hear that there's an awareness of that it is. And we know our staff needs support. And, you know, the sheriff and like I said before, you know, I don't think our mission thus far has been appreciated. And, you know, for various reasons. But I think, you know, our the steps that we're taking to just make overall life improvements for staff will be. And, you know, none of this would be possible if it wasn't for the sheriff. Right. You know, talk about burnout. I'm, I've been very fortunate for the last few years to work for somebody like Sheriff Tom Dart. Like he supports me and what I'm doing mm-hmm. and really um, is a source of nurturing. And so I try to help those under me feel that same sense of nurturing from me. And that's really what it's about. It's about modeling what's appropriate and bringing that level of compassion to our staff too. So we don't always get the mark, but we try. So do the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, do the uh, clinicians and the correctional staff, uh, do you, you kind of work hand in hand? Do you, do you oh, gain yes. plan as far as, you know, when you're doing uh, assessments of, of those uh, folks that 
they're dealing with on a daily basis. Yes. So we um, initiated morning huddles in the different areas. So staff coming in, clinical and correctional, they start virtually at the same time of the day and so before they start to engage the inmates then they have a brief huddle talk about any problematic inmates talk about any behaviors that were significant talk about the plan for the day excuse me and it's really given an opportunity for the correctional staff to have their voice heard for a long time they weren't heard and so we've done a better job with making sure the clinical staff that are working with them understand that your best resources is officer he or she has seen what this person has done for the last seven to eight hours and so use that resource and so I think they're much more appreciated now okay um I would be remiss if I did not did not ask this one of the other hats that I wear as a imam of a, a masjid on the southeast side masjid al taqwa uh shout out to all my taqwa people um, <laughs> um uh, is faith a part of the approach to mental health and, and wellness oh yes so we have over 300 um, religious organizations that come into the jail volunteer services we have a few imams that come in um, and they offer services to the inmates so every division daily has religious services and inmates can volunteer to participate in those services. That is awesome. Yes. That is awesome. Yes. So what does the, what does the future uh, look like? What is the, is there a, is there a, a, a picture or a particular, is there a, a scenario you see where this is my program and it has grown to what I have envisioned? Uh, or is it a day by day, uh, it's both. You know, I you have to you have to have some perspective of where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I I feel like we have it right with the inmates. It's just expanding the programs that we already have. Um, so more than half of our inmates are involved in some sort of program right now. We really want the whole inmate population involved in some sort of transformative program. It doesn't have to be a mental health program, but something to help them, again, be more successful when they leave our doors. And then for the staff, you know, really being able to target the the nuances that you spoke about with law enforcement as a whole and the correctional community it's a very tough job it's a trying job and so just trying to come up with a comprehensive program for our staff and that that's difficult it's challenging because you know unions are involved and you know there are different parameters and so just working within those parameters that's the long-term goal for the correctional facility but you know we don't stay in our lane the sheriff has taught me very well (laughs) that we don't have a lane you know people have dropped the ball so much and that um you know, in this fight to to end this crisis, mm-hmm. that it's time for us to go beyond where we are. And so we want to focus on the children of those that are or have been incarcerated. You know, that's that's near and dear to my heart. My father was incarcerated. I understand some of the risk factors and what it takes to really expand beyond those and to 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 prevail. And so we're we're looking at how we can do more in reach in our communities mm-hmm. so that we can prevent individuals from becoming involved in the criminal justice system. I'm going to make this 
I'm going to try to make this my last question. Uh, as I see now, I pro- we could probably keep talking for another yes, hour. Yes, I told you, uh, I can go. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you mentioned as a, as a model that other uh, correctional uh, agencies have reached out. Yes. Um, do you see, um, are you optimistic about other, uh, about other agencies around the country, particularly given that the, that the populations that they are serving are uh, majority black and brown. Uh, are you optimistic about them kind of taking the same approach that you all are? I am. I don't know if they're going to take the same approach, but just their request for information is um, genuine and it's heartening for me to hear. You know, I, I also recognize in other correctional institutions they see now that they can no longer have business as usual. Right. And they know they have to do something different. And, you know, I, I think they're going to rise to the occasion, especially our larger correctional institutions. Okay. You know what? I wasn't, I, 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 I'm not going to say I lied. No, but I do have one, <laughs> one last question. One Ask last question. as many as you oh, like. Yeah, because I got to look at this clock. Yes. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll shut us down at 7 o'clock. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, with violence, have you noticed, and unfortunately, that's one of the, the unfortunate realities of, 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 of people in close proximity yes. and incarceration, you know, it is violence. But have, have you noticed a reduction of, in, mm. in violence from those who are uh, in these types of programs who are receiving mental health yes. uh, checkups and taking medication uh, if necessary? Yes, not only those that are in our treatment program. So, we've seen a reduction of incidents. In- Incidents with that population, mm-hmm. but more notably, we uh, change the way we house individuals in what is termed segregation or what used to be termed solitary confinement. So traditionally, and I'll talk fast, correctional institutions had individuals locked in their cell 23 hours a day in segregation. Right. We said we're no longer going to do that. Inmates are out in segregation for at least five hours a day. Okay. And for a long time, people said, they're out that long? They're going to get into more incidents. We've had a plummeting of our incidents, especially the batteries to staff with that particular population. And this is our more violent population. And what we did is we trained our staff in direct supervision. We have our staff in the tiers engaging with the inmates. It's amazing what can happen when you just talk to someone. Yeah. So then the inmates don't have to act out to get their needs met. They can talk with the staff. And so where we used to have let's say dozens of incidents we now have one or two in a given month so it's been it's been a great uh, positive impact okay dr anaka i want to thank you so much for taking the time to come here and talk with uh myself and the radio slam family the listeners um it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure for me i've enjoyed it thank you my pleasure my pleasure all right radio slam family uh it has it has come to that time again uh where we are going to have to sign off. Uh, I want to let you know tomorrow, tune in at 6 p.m. We're going to have uh, Cook County, candidate for Cook County Commissioner, uh, 20-year-old Bushra Amawala. So she'll be joining us. So tune in for that conversation. I want to remind you about the gubernatorial um, uh, forum that's going to be on the 27th of January, Shalimar uh, in Addison. And now I'm going to go ahead and just run down a list of who's who. We want to thank Leonard over at WCEV, our energy engineer, for doing a fabulous job as always. Um, I am your host, producer, and engineer for the night, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Um, what else? Oh, 
Please be mindful that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as representative of Sound Vision, Inc. And Radio Islam family, I'm going to leave you now as I greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.